It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. There is nothing more comforting than knowing that God desires me and He wants me, even to go as far as adopting me as one of His own children. And today Rick continues in his Life with a Capital L series. He's looking at Ephesians 1, and we're in verses 5 and 6 today, where Paul talks about God adopting us as His own children. Let's join Rick now in his sermon entitled, Wanting In, But Feeling Out. Here's Rick. Whoever said you can't buy friends evidently did not know about some of the new shallow shortcuts that are available to us in our internet age. There are companies out there that you can use that will help you find online friends. Um, These companies will create fake users or will pay real account holders to follow and like you on your social media accounts. So, for example, on socialup.com, you can buy 500 likes for 30 bucks. If that's not enough for you, you can buy 20,000 likes for $6.99. That's $699. Or if you're someplace else for a mere $10, Fan Me Now will find you 1,000 Twitter followers. Write this down. You may need it. Interesting, Steve March wrote an article in the Atlantic magazine entitled, Is Facebook Making Us More Lonely? He mentions how new research reveals that even though social media has made us more densely networked, yet we have never been lonelier as Americans. Listen to what he says. We live in a world of instant and absolute communication, unbounded by limits of time or space, and yet we still suffer from unprecedented alienation. We have never been more detached from one another or lonelier in a world consumed by ever more novel methods of socialization, we actually have less and less actual society. So is it any surprise to us that we then hear people in the media say things like what Anne Hathaway, uh, Oscar-winning actress, she confessed one time in an interview, loneliness is my least favorite thing about life. The thing that I'm most worried about is just being alone without anyone to care for or someone who will care for me. Albert Einstein one time wrote, It's strange to be known so universally and yet to be so lonely. Marilyn Monroe, before her death, said, Sometimes I think the only people who stay with me and really listen are the people I hire, the people I pay. Folks, loneliness is rampant. Loneliness is epidemic, and the surprising thing is that it also invades into the lives of the followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Why do we feel so alone? Why do we seem to have this sense that we are on the outside, we're looking in? Why does it feel like we're on our own so often to figure it out or just to kind of make it up as we go along? Because why? Because the Bible describes that our Creator made us to be gregarious creatures. And so 
There is something hardwired in us to want to connect with each other. Yet try as we might to enter into deep, meaningful relationships, we end up still having this empty loneliness, or worse sometimes, there's an aloneness, aloneness that comes because of the wounds we have inside from abuse or rejection or abandonment. Some of you I know have in the recent years been reading uh, Dr. Brene Brown, who is a research professor at the University of Houston's Graduate School of Social Work, and she writes about what do we do with these feelings of aloneness. Here's one of her comments. She says, technology has become a kind of imposter for connection, making us believe when we're, that we're connected when we're really not. She goes on to say, we've confused being communicative with feeling connected. And just because we're plugged in doesn't mean that we feel seen or feel heard. You know, the wonderful news this morning is that life with a capital L can restore this aspect of our original trajectory. Life with a capital L addresses and heals that deep sense of loneliness and alienation that can even invade into the lives of the followers of Jesus Christ. See, the remarkable, excessive, and incredibly deeply satisfying life that Jesus said he came to give us in John 10.10 is designed to meet, in part, our need for connection. But the surprising thing is, Jesus asks, for us to put all of our eggs in one basket. He asks us to take all of our expectations of how others will make us feel. He asks us to take all of our hopes for support and affirmation, take all of our dreams for being loved and embraced and accepted, all of our deep yearnings to, to, to belong and lay it all in one single solitary relationship. So that the sense of belonging is either going to come together or it's going to fall apart in one relationship. And we're going to talk about that this morning. It's the father-son relationship that we can have in Christ. So let's dive back again into Ephesians 1 this morning. Grab your Bibles, turn there again. We'll be there for another five weeks. And remember where we looked last week in verse 3 where Paul says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we noted, life with a capital L is grounded in the truth that God, who's our Father, not only wants to bless us, but has blessed us. He is not there to curse us, but out of His grace, He has given us incredible benefits. And the first one we saw last week is that we've been personally selected or personally chosen. In other words, he has spoken three life-giving words over us. I want you, and therefore, I matter. But there's a second card. And by the way, that first card, he wants that card to be in our hands, ready for us to play it at any given moment as necessary. But there's a second card that he wants in our hands. And that is, is that we have been wildly and wonderfully blessed because we have been lovingly adopted. Therefore, I belong. Ephesians 1, 
verse 5. Notice how Paul starts by describing our adoption connection. The last two words of verse 4 belong with verse 5, where Paul says, In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. Now remember, last week we looked at this. From verse 4 all the way down to verse 14, it's one long run-on sentence. So there's no break between verse 4 and verse 5. So, before the foundation of the world, before time began, God chose us, and connected to His choosing was the deter- His determined plan, that's that word predestined, His determined plan to adopt us as sons. Now notice, Paul reaches out into the Roman culture of that day and grabs a commonly known social act to help us grasp what the father-son relationship is that restores us to our original trajectory. It's the concept that's similar to our day of adoption, but there are some significant differences. As Paul uses this term adoption here in Ephesians 1.5, It has three very important elements to it. First, in an adoption, a choice is made. Now, in our days, it's similar to what we go through. In that very powerful expression of adoption, as we know it today, a child who is not biologically from the parents is by their choosing, though, brought into their family. But here is where the differences begin to occur between our day and Paul's day. For back then, it was not unusual for a wealthy or influential man to come to midlife and to realize, I don't have an heir. Either he had never had children, or his children had died, or his children had turned out horribly. So he has no one to inherit the estate, no one to carry on his legacy, no one to assume his position of political power. So unlike our day, where most of the adoptions are of of children or even babies, at this point in history, most adoptions were of young men. And the emphasis is is on the start of a brand new father-son relationship. So the father decides to legally adopt, bring into the family a man who would assume now the role of eldest son. And inherent in that idea of adoption is the free choice of the father to adopt this young man. So there was no manipulation involved. There was no setting up six or seven candidates for him to consider, and there's a contest. No, it was all by grace. The father made a choice to give something wonderful that wasn't deserved and had not been earned. I mean, look how verse 6 describes it. So we've been adopted through Christ. According to the purpose of his will, notice, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. (laughs) Wow. The gracious choice of our heavenly father to adopt us is called glorious. Meaning it is wonderful. It is outstanding. It is something worthy to be celebrated. And it's freely bestowed upon us as a blessing in Christ. And we saw this last week. I get it simply because he wants me. 
Wow. So that's the first element in being adopted. A choice was made. But there's a second implication or part of this, an element to it, and that is in an adoption, benefits are given. Now again, because of the adoption typically is that of an adult, the adopted son immediately experiences all the rights and privileges of being in that family. There was no delay. There was no waiting period. He did not have to grow older before he could get any of it. He got it instantaneously. So if the father was wealthy, he got to enjoy all those riches. If the father was politically connected, he got to enjoy that position of authority and respect. If the father lived on an extensive estate with lavish surroundings, he instantly enjoyed the lifestyle of all those amenities. Instantly. So inherent also in the concept of adoption is that there's a brand new quality of life instantly enjoyed. And with that very quality of life is the very conscious experience of a new relationship. Something very special, very intimate occurs between the father and the adopted son. So in adoption, there's choice. In the adoption, there's benefits. There's a third element that is in this word, adoption, that Paul uses here in verse 5. And that is, in an adoption, a release is enacted. In other words, for the young man... Once the adoption had legally taken place, all former associations, all former ties are broken apart. The adopted son is released from any duty to his former family and any obligation that he currently or used to have to his biological dad. And by the way, this was often very dramatic because numerous times the young man who was adopted was a slave. So the adoption sets them free. The old family could have been in debt, but the adopted son no longer carries that burden of having to repay anything. In every way, the adopted son, for the adopted son, the slate has just been wiped clean. And this is powerfully described for us in Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 6, because release is part of the adoption process. Paul writes this and says, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. See the release issue? And being set free in in our adoption helps us to understand the power of life with a capital L that's described in many places of the Bible. I keep bringing it up, and it's, it's worth bringing up, though. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. But there's often a problem, isn't there? Hold your finger here in Ephesians 1, but turn back, if you will, to John 8. Let's understand why we often have a problem with experiencing this. John chapter 8, starting at verse 42. Jesus is in a discussion with some of the religious leaders of his day. And he said, no, as I read this, and you follow along, watch for the Father 
relationship issues that uh, come up here. John 8, 42. Jesus said to them, if, I, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. <laughs> I came not of my own accord, but he, God the Father, sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Rhetorical question. He goes right on to answer it without waiting for them to respond. Notice. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And this so wonderfully helps us understand why, before a person comes to Christ as their Savior, they struggle to know what is true. Why? Because verse 44, Satan has the controlling influence in their lives like a father. He has filled their minds with lies and deceptions, and he never stops doing that. But... In Christ, once we've been adopted, <clears throat> we have a new father-son relationship, which means all former obligations, all former associations, all former debts are gone. We have been set free to enjoy what we were originally created to have, what I call our original trajectory, and that is this unhindered relationship with our Creator God, who is our true Father. That's why in a similar way, Paul, in Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12, and we don't have time to unpack this this morning, why he describes our former connection with Adam. We are now in Christ, though, for those of us who have chosen to trust Christ as our Savior. And so instead of being connected to the old Adam, we're now connected to the new Adam called Jesus. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul describes it like this. He says, because of one man's trespass, meaning Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man, Adam. Yet how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Folks, this is so important. It is so important because way too many believers spend way too much time focused on their old, sinful, Adamic nature and almost ignore the new nature that God has put inside of them and wants to see grow, which is this new self, this new life that we've been given in Christ because we've been adopted. Those old associations and ties and debts have been released in Christ. But remember, <clears throat> we looked at this and I'm going to keep bringing it up almost every Sunday. Remember the first part of John 10.10. 10. Satan will act like a thief to try his best to kill, steal, or destroy our experience of life with a capital L. And part of his fight with us is over this father-child, father-son, father-daughter relationship. And every day we're being lied to. So it should not come as any surprise when we start thinking, you know what, I'm just really a nobody. I don't matter. It's not true. If you are in Christ, then you are a favored, chosen individual. If we start thinking, who would want me after what I've done? He does. 
You, he has, all that He's done for you in Christ shows that He graciously loves you. Or when you begin to think, man, I just feel so lonely. I just must be out there on my own to make it up. No. No. We have been brought into a fantastic relationship with our Father in Heaven, and we have a special place. We belong to Him. And folks, the only chance we have, the only chance we have of living out this aspect of life with a capital L is to call those thoughts for what they are. Lies. From our old father of lies. And then immediately bring to truth, bring to our minds the truth of God's word that we have been adopted so that we ground ourselves once again in his choice of us, the benefits that he has given to us, and the release uh, from all the, of who we used to be. And yet how often do we still struggle to live out our father-son adoption? Have you ever thought why? Why is it still a struggle? Well, think back. When Adam and Eve first sinned, what was at the core of Satan's temptation to them to disobey and eat the forbidden fruit? At its core, the temptation was getting them to question their heavenly Father's heart. And that's right where today we find our adoption disconnection. This is where the problem comes for us. When it comes to experiencing the richness of our adoption, the issue at stake is, are we trusting our Heavenly Father's heart? See, it's really easy to trust His heart when life is going well, isn't it? But there are two critical times, two critical times, when our adoption as sons or kids and our sense of belonging is radically attacked. First, when we wander away, and second, when life is brutal. Let's talk about both of those. To help us trust the heart of our Heavenly Father who wondrously has chosen us and given us wonderful benefits and powerfully released us in this adoption, the Scriptures give us two stories. The first is the father-son story that Jesus told. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 15. You know the story well, and when you come to it in your Bibles, you'll often see a title given to it called the, the parable of the prodigal son. That's where we're headed. So let's review some of the details of this well-known story. A wealthy dad, a wealthy father's got two sons. And the younger son makes a series of very selfish choices. He demands his share of the inheritance. Now, even though the father has the right to live off of those resources until he dies, the younger son wants his slice of the pie dished out now. Well, implied in that choice of his is an, is an offensive rejection of dad. He's basically saying to his dad, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I want you to die because I want what you have. And so his choosing to leave home was a drastic cutting loose of living, thinking, and acting that's all centered in the father. 
He wants to go off on a journey because he wants to find some place that he believes where he will belong. And so as we know, the younger son goes and squanders everything he has. The story develops starting at verse 11 following on down. He lets the money flow through his fingers like water. Notice, in rejecting the father, he is rejecting moral restraint. And then the bottom drops out. You know the story well. He loses, or it looks like he loses everything His money, his health, his honor, his self-respect, his reputation. Now look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, some of your translations say, when he came to his senses. That's probably a better translation. Well, when did he come to his senses? As he was taking care of the pigs. Folks, thank God for pig pens. Thank God for those times of being that we end up in disgusting muck. Because for him, it was that that caused the sense of being lost and being so far away to hit him like a ton of bricks. He suddenly realized, there's no one that cares about me. I'm a foreigner in a strange country. He's all alone. And he is shocked into an awareness of his utter alienation and disconnection to what brings life. So what does he do? He makes the decision to return. To return to a life that is father-centric. But here's the one thing he doesn't know. And right here is the key question. It's the question we ask when we've wandered away, when we've rejected our Heavenly Father, when we've sunk so low in our selfish choices and squandered so much. What's the question? Will he accept me? See, will he accept me is a question of trust, isn't it? Will the reception I receive after... I mean, what is the reception I will receive after what I've done? Look at verse 20. Look at the description. Hang on to your seats. And so the son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. See how these verses answer the question? As I said a moment ago, it looked like the son had lost everything. He did, but for one thing. He never lost that he was a son. He never lost his sonship. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. It's not a title. It's not a name tag. It's who we are. 
Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Habba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So let me ask, is that your question this morning? Can you trust your Heavenly Father's heart that in your wandering, He still accepts you? He still wants you. See, if I understand my Bible correctly, that invitation is still on the table. Come home to where you belong. Your father's waiting to welcome you back. And some of you have never ever made that initial decision. And at the end, in prayer, I'm going to give you that opportunity. So wait for it. But that's the story Jesus told to those of us who wander away. But like I said, there were two critical times when our father-son relationship is brutally attacked. Well, yeah, it's, it's attacked, and that is actually when life is brutal. And so there's a second area of trusting God's heart that speaks to our adoption, disconnect. And it's not described in a father-son story that Jesus tells. It's described in a father-son story that Jesus lives Turn, if you would, just to the right from Luke to Luke chapter 22. You know the details of this story well also. It's the final night of Jesus' life. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his knees in prayer because events are starting to come to a climax. He's fully aware that ahead of him is a pathway of painful betrayal of a disheartening abandonment, of intense mocking, of unbelievable suffering that's going to lead to an excruciating death. But don't miss the setting. Jesus is all alone. And what he's going to experience in the coming hours is going to be experienced all alone. And so that's the background to verse 42. What is his prayer? John, I mean, Luke 22 Verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, look carefully at that verse. What's the first word of the prayer? Father. Notice that in the midst of his physical, spiritual, and emotional aloneness, the father-son connection is still there. Take this cup from me. I mean, who of us wants to, like Jesus, I mean, this is his humanity coming out here. I mean, who of us, like, enjoys pain? Who of us gets excited about unjust suffering? Who here wants to pay a price for someone else's mistake? It's Jesus. Yet, not my will. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he says that, what's just happened? Jesus is trusting the heart of his Father that it's still good. See, that's what allows him to say, I'd rather not yet yield up his desires to the will of another that I know my Heavenly Father's heart's good. Isn't that right where we live? It's where I live. I imagine that's where you all live. 
We find ourselves in the midst of a painful situation that we can't control and we really don't want to be in it. And the road ahead looks painful. It looks incredibly disappointing. And to follow our Lord down that path, we just know it's not going to make any sense. It's probably going to feel very unreasonable. And I might suffer loss and something precious to me might die. And you know what? I'm probably going to have to do it all by myself alone. Who here has not asked God, is there not a plan B? Who here hasn't struggled with the unfair troubles of life? Who here hasn't been puzzled by God because we cannot explain him to ourselves, let alone to anybody else? And the core question is, can I trust my father's heart? And will he be good to me? In times like this, there are two promises to hang on to. There are others, but let me just give you two that are mine in the hopes that maybe it'll be of help to you. The first is the promise when others intentionally seek to hurt us. It hasn't happened yet. I'm glad you've been spared, but you know what? You're probably not going to get through life without being scarred by it. God will still be good. Genesis 50, verse 20, promises us that. As Joseph told his brothers, you know, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And you might be tempted to say, well, yeah, Joseph, but but you don't understand my situation, how I've been betrayed. Wait, 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 wait. His words come from a guy who was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, then sold into slavery, falsely accused by an aggressive cougar, and then forgotten and left in jail for years. That's the guy who says, yeah, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. It's a good one to hang on to. There's a second one I would encourage you to hang on to. It's a promise that it may not feel good, but ultimately everything will connect into God's good plans for us. And it's Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And again, you might say, yeah, Paul, you may be able to say that, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I have lived through. You don't know how much it has hurt me. Really. Do you realize that Romans 8.28 comes from a guy who describes his life like this in 2 Corinthians 11? I have had great labors, many imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a day and a night, and I was adrift in the sea. I'm on frequent journeys, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's the guy who said, in all things, God works together for good. Hang on to it. See, the father-son story that Jesus told when we wander away answers the question, will he accept me? 
Yes. Because we've not lost our wonderfully adopted, lovingly adopted position in Christ. And the father-son story that Jesus lived speaks to when life is brutal. And we ask the question, does he care? Well, yes. Because even then, we've not lost our lovingly adopted position. We belong, and so we can trust his heart is good. Because in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. You've been lovingly adopted. You belong. Your heavenly father-son, father-child, father-daughter relationship is secured, not because of what we do, but because of what he has done, his choice of us. But you're going to have to fight for it. Because we have an enemy who will tempt us to doubt and not trust our Father's heart. Has he accepted me in Christ? Yes. Will he be good to me? Yes. So praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with this blessing in Jesus. Let's pray. And some of you are here this morning and something in your heart has been sparked because you know loneliness, you know alienation. You may have all the things of the world, or much of them, but your heart is still saying there's got to be something more. Or maybe you're here this morning and life's been brutal and the pig pen has brought you to your senses that there isn't anything in this life that can give you that sense of belonging that you really desperately want. And so may I just tell you again, my friend, if that's you, the only place you'll ever find it is in Jesus Christ. And is that what you want this morning? If it is, then can I just refer you back to what we looked at in Luke 15, that when the son decided to head home, the first words out of his mouth to his father were, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am unworthy to be your son. Those are your first words. Those are the words that you need to say to the God of heaven who is listening right here to you. wanting to know if you'll come to grips with how you have rejected that father-son relationship. Maybe not knowingly, but you have. Are you willing to say, I have sinned against heaven and against you? Are you willing to accept and even ask for his forgiveness? To ask once again to enter back into that father-son relationship because of what Christ has done on the cross that has literally released you from everything of your past if you will but believe it.
and for many of us, Father, here who are your followers, that some of us have been wandering away. Some of us are almost ashamed to talk to others about how brutal life's been. And we wonder about your heart. Lord, I pray that Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 have grounded us once again in the truth of we have been lovingly adopted. We belong. Welcome home. I will be good to you. Lord, those are the voices from you we need to hear coming right out of your scriptures this morning. Help us to grow in this life with a capital L that was so important you personally came to earth for, Jesus Christ died for, and the Holy Spirit is waiting now to help us to live it out. Lord, that's our powerful, audacious request this morning. That we might live and grow in this wonderful blessing you've given us in Christ. And so it is in his compassionate, powerful name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www. Dot Rancho Baptist Church dot org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.